want to welcome everyone to the City of Iowa City work session on January 18th. It is just 4 p.m. Our first item is going to be to discuss the Jones County Direct Relief Program. I know that this was um, something that Councilor Burgess had initiated that we kind of bring back up, and I know our counselors are wanting to have this discussion. I'll probably invite Jeff just to give us uh, kind of a start us out on this. Yeah, thank you, Mayor, uh, and good afternoon to you and the council. Um, in your packet, uh, you have a memo from our assistant city manager, Rachel Kilberg, providing you just an, a, a quick update on all of our previously identified ARPA initiatives. Um, so uh, with the new council being seated, we just thought that type of um, look back would be uh, helpful. We can certainly answer questions on those, but you're right, the focus of the work session uh, was to be on the uh, direct payment program that the uh, staff and elected officials at Johnson County uh, have been working on diligently the past uh, several months. Um, really, uh, real quick, in your packet, um, we included um, some of the early direct assistance program information that was prepared uh, 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 by the staff at Johnson County for their electeds. I want to just make mention that was prepared back in December, and we all know that conversations are, are, are still ongoing. Matter of fact, I believe there's a meeting uh, with the Board of Supervisors tomorrow on this topic. Um, one significant thing has uh, changed between uh, when this uh, document was created and, and today, and that's that the final rules uh, from the U.S. Treasury came out on January 6th. Um, I can tell you there's several hundred pages of rules to, to sift through, and I'm sure, uh, like our staff, the county staff is working hard to, to review those and see how that might uh, change their approach, uh, if at all, to uh, the direct assistance program. So just keep that in mind as you're uh, discussing things tonight. Um, I do want to thank the county team. You have uh, several county uh, staff members here in the audience uh, tonight that can uh, probably answer questions about their program better than uh, than we can as city staff. So with that, I'll just turn it back over to the council for discussion and uh, we'll do our best to answer questions as they come up. Great. <clears throat> and thanks to the county members that are here today. Really appreciate your presence and we'll just kind of dive into this conversation. Um, The hope, I think the hope today is really to, to zone in on the direct payments um, to eligible adults and how do we, I think there is certainly this um, desire to partner with, uh, with the county in all intentions and I think we are at this point just trying to identify what amount and how do we get that uh, to them if I'm to follow kind of what you want it. Um, as an initial proposal to council. Well, Mayor, I'm, I'm happy to jump in um, just because I have been thinking a lot about this and also had the opportunity to talk to a couple of our supervisor colleagues today um, on where they are in the process. So the memo that was in our packet um, 
indicated that the county is looking at $1,400 payments to eligible adult individuals, so not households, but individuals um, with some eligibility criteria, including having lived in Johnson County since uh, March of 2020 um, and still being a resident of Johnson County, I believe. And please, uh, staff, please jump in <laughs> if I get anything wrong. Um, and that people who have not received uh, any of a number of the previous um, COVID relief or stimulus benefits, such as the what we called sort of the stimulus checks, the $1,400 payment, the $600 payment, and um, enhanced unemployment benefits. Um, and so I, I do think based on our conversation in September where this was first presented in terms of we want to allocate some amount of direct payments to individuals and then the joint meeting that we had with the county in November, I guess I can just kind of give my pitch on what I'm imagining we could do and hope we could do and maybe that'll start the conversation. Um, I think we should allocate $1.5 million. Um, I think we should use that money to increase the pool for the county's program. I think we've been clear we want to work with the county. I think that that money could be best used in terms of benefit, benefiting the largest number of the most vulnerable people in our community by uh, considering just adding, adding that to the pot and knowing that it will be distributed in a program that is um, the same for everyone who would be eligible. I know we've had some very preliminary conversations about, well, could we have a program that's just for Iowa City residents and then one that's kind of for everyone else? I would urge us to look at this as a rising tide lifts all boats situation for our contiguous community and knowing that we can contribute to a pool that would benefit uh, everyone. If they've landed on the amount of $1,400 per individual, based on what I understand to be very rough estimates of the numbers that, that of people that that could serve, I think we should consider saying, okay, we want to add our money and make that a higher number per individual. Um, I think we should consider $2,000 per person and have that be eligible for or have that apply to everyone throughout the program for the county of Johnson County. We've been talking from the beginning about um, what kinds of proof or documentation would people have to show for their eligibility. And I will say again, as I've said publicly before, the more, the more self-certification we can have, the better. Um, I understand there are risks involved in that. I understand that there's concerns that that people would uh, defraud us, that they would try and you know come in and and uh, double dip or make it more um, complicated. Given the unprecedented nature of this moment, this emergency, the pandemic that we're in, the nature of this funding and the funding source, um, I honestly am not. I don't see that to be a high concern, and I think that getting funds to people who have been left out of all these other programs that started, you know, almost, gosh, you know, 18 months plus ago um, is really my, my top priority. I do, I think there's some uh, details of the program as it's been presented that there'd be a application period running from, for example, March 1st through April 15th. At the close of that application period, there would be kind of a lottery to determine eligible individuals and then processing the applications uh, after the end of, of, or after the selection of the individuals. 
I would urge, if it's logistically feasible, that that uh, we let the county know that maybe maybe there could be some rolling eligibility or some processing as a certain number of applications come in or something like that, just so that there's not uh, that entire window of time when there wouldn't be any uh, processing or payments going out. So that's kind of my where my head's at. Okay. Thank you, Councillor Burgess. I, you've obviously given this a lot of thought, which is what I hope all of us have done, because it is a very vital, important decision that we have to make. And, and I can't personally dispute how, how vital the money would be uh, to help the most vulnerable uh, individuals in our community, especially the ones, as you'd mentioned, who seemingly were left behind by uh, a lot of the other programs and, and still need some assistance. And this is our chance, I see, as elected officials uh, to help those folks uh, get their feet back on the ground. And I see it as imperative, actually, that, that we provide a fair and reasonable method of distribution of the, of the funds, as you've talked about. And I'd like to thank the Johnson County Board of Supervisors and their staff for the information you put together for the direct assistance program. And I'm glad to see that you're planning a series of application uh, clinics to aid people in the process, because as most people know, I'm I'm technically uh, challenged and, and there I know our, our other people out there, other folks or don't even have technical capabilities. And, and it's good to see that the library folks and supervisor folks can help these people out. Uh, because it is essential to provide a, a process whereby uh, these individuals don't have to jump through a lot of hoops uh, to apply for this. And I would certainly agree, uh, as Councilor Berger said, that it would be beneficial for the city to uh, join uh, funds and partner with the county to provide these additional disbursements. And uh, I think uh, the amount she quoted, the $1.5 million to make it up to $2,000 per person sounds reasonable to me. I do have a technical question, and that is, do we have the ability to extend our funds beyond uh, individuals that have an Iowa City address? Yes, I think we could. I think it, we, we would be transferring our funds to the county. We have to work through some of the, the logistics there, but I think we would... Um, basically transfer our 1.5 million if that's the number that the council lands on to the county uh, for this purpose we still have some obligations when it comes to reporting and monitoring uh, those but I think it can be done okay. if any of the staff in the audience uh, have concerns with that good evening Donna Brooks grants coordinator with the Johnson County Board of Supervisors Something that we've discussed with our ARPA leadership team, which includes the county attorney's office, um, would be looking at participation from the city of Iowa City, possibly through a reimbursement model, so that we can ensure that those benefits or, or ARPA funds provided by the city directly benefit Iowa City residents. And given that this program is being developed to uh, select as a lottery or, or a random selection, I think it might be a better idea to see what some of those selection numbers look like in terms of disbursement of county residents based on communities um, before uh, the city puts in um, or, or agrees to a large amount. And again, I know that you guys are elected officials and, and we're just staff and these are decisions that elected officials will ultimately make. But being the people that um, live and breathe both the interim final rule and now the final rule, we do have concerns about whether or not the city of Iowa City 
could provide their local fiscal recovery funds to communities outside of the city of Iowa City. Um, the, the rule is pretty clear that these funds should benefit only those residents of the recipient. Any other questions? I have a question. I have a question about the lottery. Um, is that based on a, a, a speculation or projection that there will be more people needing this money yes. than we have? So Absolutely. that's that's the rationale for the lottery? Well, um, it, it, we looked to other local governments, such as the city of St. Louis and the city of Boston. We had a very good meeting with the city of Boston last week regarding their program that they stood up with ARPA funding that provides this type of direct relief or cash transfers, the expenditure category under the U.S. Treasury. But um, ultimately, the lottery, what it does at a capacity level is if we were to receive 7,000 applications and we know that 2 million divided by 1,400 is about 1,400, rather than having staff review all 7,000 applications, it allows us to pre-select those numbers that approximately fit with the budget and then review from there. So it just feels like a fair um, approach. And there certainly our program includes the opportunity for in the event of an incomplete application or, or lacking documentation, there's a seven-day turnaround period for staff to reach out to residents and help them um, complete their application. Again, the goal is inclusivity, not exclusion. So staff will be doing everything they can. But I'll tell you that the city of Boston had a pretty good laugh about the fact that we were trying to administer this in-house and not going with a third-party provider. They had put out an RFP and split their $1 million budget to 900000 and 100000 reserving that 10% for administration. So that I'm clear on um, the answer that you gave us as far as if our funds can be utilized with other people outside of Iowa City, did I understand that the rules would say no? Uh, that's our reading of the final rule. And right. we, th we think it would be better to um, maybe establish a 2080 agreement where the city of Iowa City was reimbursing for any resident of Iowa City that received a direct assistance payment. But, but my name is Ray Forsyth and I'm the special projects manager. Based on the demographics of Iowa City, I think you would be safe to assume that your 1.5 million would be completely absorbed. It would just be then the, the pool size and the number of approved applicants to get to that 1.5. So it would, it would really depend on the lottery. But having that bigger pool opens it up to more residents. And you would assume that more residents of Iowa City are going to apply because your population is a significant portion of the county. I'm not sure if you can answer this question, but if the county was to do the 1,400 and the city of Iowa City wanted to do the 600 on top, is that something that you foresee being an option? I think so. Yeah, I think we just want to work with the county attorney's office and the city attorney's office and make sure that we have the proper um, kind of agreement in place, whatever that looks like, and just making sure, again, that we're kind of cross-referencing against the final rule and maybe even doing some outreach uh, to the U.S. Treasury or to NACO or League of Cities and, and kind of getting the go-ahead before we... Um, start mixing dollars, I guess, in a in a pool, so to speak. I, I tend to like the idea of delineating delineating it by resident address, but um, again, open for discussion and ultimately elected official decision making. And we will definitely go back and report to the board the desire of a two thousand dollar payment versus fourteen hundred. 
Does creating that extra, it's not a layer, but that the extra um, uh, distinguishing mark of, of Iowa City residents and that money, does that slow down payment? No, because we're part of our application process is residency, acknowledging the residency. So we, we're going to be tracking where every applicant comes from. So it shouldn't at all. I will say if we stay with a model of a set application period and we double the budget, then obviously there's going to be a requirement for more staff capacity um, to review those applications. So in the time period allotted. So county money that's allocated <clears throat> that's allocated toward this um, can it it can go to anyone who lives in Johnson County is that correct that's correct. correct. So essentially we would um, the the city by by um, providing funds would be stretching the money pretty much for everyone in that sense even though what you're saying is that the city funds could really only go to city residents absolutely unless we targeted those city dollars to city resident or city applicants city resident applicants As far as the um, residency of the applicants, the would we be solid on the address being actually based on municipal boundaries rather than, you know, there's lots of Iowa City addresses that aren't within our boundaries. Is your system set up that way? Um, I think we would be safe. If it's an Iowa City address, it would be an Iowa City resident. I think that's a pretty safe assumption to make. Oh. There, there, there are plenty of people, so for example, out North Dubuque Street, who are residents who have an Iowa City address, um, but who are not actual residents of the city of Iowa City. Then they're unincorporated residents of unincorporated Johnson, Johnson County. County then yeah. they, but yeah, although they have they an could. Iowa City address and a 52240 zip code. Okay, then they could be, and Johnson County has a GIS system that has layers for qualified census tracts and the unincorporated areas. So we would be vetting applicant addresses through our own GIS system. Thanks. Okay. I just have. Go ahead. One of the, the things that I think probably all of us have is the idea of trying to get people their help as fast as possible. Right. Um, is the lottery system, uh, it, at least on paper and all the deadlines and stuff, it looks like it would still be into this summer, um, at least if you do the math that I was reading it, unless I was doing it wrong. Um, is that a pretty solid estimate of the time? And is there a way, any way to, to, to speed that up? Do like a, um, I, know, I think somebody had just mentioned some, uh, starting the distribution while the lottery applications you know some i don't i don't know you you work right. with that so so what's the fastest way to get people help we believe that this is the fastest way to get people help um if we were to process applications as they were received and and it took the first come first serve basis we believe mm -hmm. that there are some um issues there with uh with equity frankly because we know that there are certain populations and groups that can more readily complete an online application who are more familiar with the program, who have paid attention as it's been developed. And we need time to do outreach to some of those marginalized communities that have not yet been involved in the process. That's the goal of these application workshops, of identifying community partners, of trying to hold these clinics sometimes off-site when necessary to make sure that we're not creating technological barriers, language barriers, um, outreach barriers, that type of thing. But I think, you know, also in response, if the uh, city of Iowa City was partnering with us and they were helping us with the technical assistance and the reviews, I think we could definitely speed it up. But at this point, the Board of Supervisors is, is doing this in-house with existing staff. So resources like that could definitely help speed up the review on the backside. Absolutely. 
I'm still confused on as to the answer to Councillor Weiner. So if if the person has an address of Iowa City, are you going to consider them an Iowa City person? How how did we clarify that again our, for me? Our GIS system would tell us if it was a resident of the city of Iowa City versus a resident of unincorporated Johnson. So County. you would list them as having the funds from Iowa Correct. City. From yes. Iowa City. Okay. Well, we, if they're a, if they are a resident of unincorporated Johnson County, we would use Johnson County's local fiscal recovery fund. If they are a resident of Iowa City proper, we will use we would potentially use or could potentially use the city of Iowa City's local fiscal recovery funds. Okay. On top of the county. I don't think on top of, I think just delineating to make sure that it is clear um, that we have a process that is clear up front so that there's less questions should we have to report or, or provide additional documentation. Um, but I would say um, my, my opinion would be, or I guess my understanding would be not in addition to the count, what the county is providing, but to cost share for Iowa City residents. Unless you went the approach of, at, of just doing a supplemental to Iowa City residents. Then we would use all county money first and then anybody in Iowa City could get the supplemental payment. Does that which, make sense? Which I think that's what we've been talking about, right? Doing the supplemental. Or am I, am I mistaken? To get our Iowa I mean, City residents up to 2000 I mean, I mean it, sounds, it sounds to me like what one of the things that you're saying, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that there, there is potentially a large enough pool to use up both the I if if we were to allocate 1.5 million in addition to what is it 2 million that the county is that that all that would get used up with one point with $1,400 payments is that correct potentially it, yeah. right we don't have good numbers because we don't know how many people are actually going to apply as to the timing of payments i, I want to be clear about this and talking with um, a couple of supervisors today i think their understanding was the application period and then the lottery and as soon as those that were matched in the lottery were processed which would be happening on an ongoing basis that those payments would be happening Correct. at that time that it wouldn't be a two-month or six-week processing period and then payments Right. It would be a rolling payment based on the review of the application. So if the applications were complete and met all the criteria, then we would start processing payments. So if the, we wouldn't if, hold them all till and do one, okay. one right. massive run of checks. Yeah, so, so not, in, in other words, you know, you, you end up with say all applications due by, by April 15th. Um, the you go through the lottery, pick out however, however many, um, any of them that are complete, complete at that time you start paying out. Correct. Correct. Okay, thank you. I think we should, um, just on this question of what our money could be used to support, um, if there is a hard line that our dollars could ha have to stay within the municipal boundaries of Iowa City, which, you know, I, I haven't read the final rule, but it seems to me that having intergovernmental transfers being, you know, allowed, that there would be some flexibility for intergovernmental transfers to, for example, you know, a county from a city within that county. But I think the administration cost is something we should be talking about. It would make sense to me that Iowa City would be willing to support things like promoting to the vulnerable communities. We talk about translation. We talk about these clinics, right? I would hope that our dollars would support that. But I, you know, we need an answer to that question, I guess, or we need to be willing to say we believe that this meets it um, because I think that would benefit not just Iowa City residents, but is a really important piece of this. 
yeah. program. And in terms of transfer authority, I should say that I am familiar with the county's um, eligibility, and we know that our transfer authority is limited to certain things, and we can give it back to the state. We cannot transfer our local fiscal recovery funds out of the boundaries of Johnson County. I'm not as familiar with the city's um, transfer authority, so certainly your you know your city attorney can can do more research there. I didn't mean to speak on that um, as an expert for local for city government sure. because I'm not. So Sue or Jeff, do you have any, or, or Rachel, do you have any wisdom on that? <laughs> well, I, I think it's, it's, it, we can figure it out. Let me just say that we, we, I'm convinced that we can figure that out. Um, what I would try to focus you on today is what is your primary objective? Is it to reach as many people as possible? Is it to, is it to lift up that proposed $1,400 amount? Um, I think we can accomplish it, but whether it's a blanket transfer, a reimbursement, um, I, I think we can, I think we can definitely, um, figure that out as we, as we go through the rules. Well, I'm, I'm certainly in support. I think we're all in support of the, the 1.5 million and it, at the same time, seems to me until we have a clearer idea of what the actual number of recipients are um, in Iowa City as to how how those funds will be distributed on a per person basis. Um, but for now, I mean, I think it's it certainly seems like a good start. And once we have a better idea of the the level of distribution or the number of distribution, I, w I would think we could revisit. Uh, you know, the program at that point. Well, I, I think we're going to need to be clear up front when we're promoting the program, you know, especially if you're looking at potentially increasing the amount, you're not, you're not going to want to do that probably after you receive applications. So we'll, we'll probably need some of that up front. Some of it you may need, you may be able to decide at a later point, but ultimately the county's got to put this program together and then build the infrastructure to support it before it goes out the door. I also am in favor of the 1.5 million, um, and because I'm new, um, these questions may have been asked and answered already, but have there already been conversations among staff and the capacity for city staff to be able to help support? Um, the, it was mentioned a few minutes ago about trying to get some more support for the, the county um, logistics and um, reviewing process. Is that something that's been talked about already and um, is there that capacity within the city to help um, does that come out through some kind of I, I guess I just want to leave it at that as a broad question yeah we haven't discussed you know essentially loaning staff over for this program I'd have some hesitations with that just knowing everything else that that we're juggling right now but um, I think it's completely reasonable to expect that some administrative dollars may have to yeah go with our transfer um, to, to support any added hours that they may need or translation expenses, things like that. Um, I think that's a very reasonable request should Johnson County make that. Yeah, support is a big bucket. So yeah. <laughs> um, my other question is to circle back to um, sort of uh, ensuring as much, um, I'm not gonna come out with it in the right phrasing, but um, it, 
I guess, as much um, safety and protection for those who are most marginalized. And if there is um, concern about the additional demarcation of Iowa City, um, because I'm just, you know, we are trying to make this as easy as possible for um, as many people as possible, but I do have concerns about that. And I just wonder having that extra delineation if that introduces any um, potential um, risk. Um, not to my knowledge off the bat. I can tell you that Johnson County has developed this program diligently as a negative economic impact or a relief program to reduce um, some of the reporting requirements in terms of um, um, income, that, uh, 1099, social security numbers, that type of thing. Uh, by building this as a negative economic impact or relief program, we reduce a lot of those um, requirements that protect the identity of recipients and residents. And I don't, I, I feel like the model of the program um, has its own safety support and, and Iowa City's participation would not change that. Thanks. I also wanted to just point out that I was fairly well impressed with the templates of the that people would have available to to be able to attest to their step their thank employment. You. So, thank and you. I think the other advantage of a partnership with the city of Iowa City is you already have a lot of social networks and social agencies that you fund that would also be of assistance to, to get the word out. You know, we're looking at having um, workshops and sessions, but being having you know the additional support from Iowa City could broaden that outreach, and I think we would get to the you know the larger pool would be really beneficial. The more outreach we give, the more respondents we're going to get. All right. Any more questions, or we can continue discussions? Just one last uh, couple, just quick comments and questions. First of all, forgot to say thank you for the work you've been doing on this. Uh, I know we all here appreciate that and and because uh, we all feel very firmly that this is something we need to do to help people and and uh, just even learning more about the scope of, of the challenge presented. So thank you for that. Uh, it's much appreciated. Uh, I also would be absolutely in favor of the 1.5 million. Uh, one thing from this discussion and maybe this is more for for council just to make sure that we're, we're clear whether we're talking about covering the $1,400 within city limits or if we're talking about stacking on top. And, and I think that's something that, that we'll talk about and we'll talk about with the supervisors. Am I, I'm new, so I'm making sure I understand where we're, mm -hmm. what our next steps are, so. Sure, great. What I heard from staff is we should kind of pick a number and they can figure out the logistics. Is that fair, Jeff? Yeah. I, I, think, I think it'd probably be a little easier for us to work out some of the, the, the transfer mechanics um, or reimbursement mechanics, whether we're looking at 2080 agreements or w whatever the case may be. We can work that out in between meetings and report back to you. Um, what, what I would love to get a sense of before we wrap up the conversation is whether you're hoping that Iowa City's contribution of 1.5 million is what I'm hearing from, I believe, a majority, um, is intended to increase that dollar amount. Are you are you looking to go from 14 to uh, 2,000? Is that is that the primary objective? Um, uh, and if so, that gives us the direction we need to work with the county to see how to make that happen. Yep. And I, I do think that's something that we need to discuss. Um, if it's the you know the the extra 600 on top of the 1400 uh, we did hear that there could be quite a few residents that would qualify based on the application criteria and they wouldn't be able to receive any of the funds because of the lottery and so i do think that 
And that and that's a great point, Mayor, because if you look at if we're gonna keep our pool to the same number of people, only some residents get more money in than people that are outside of the city, by making our pool bigger, we're guaranteeing that more people will get a payment, whether it be the fourteen hundred or two thousand. But if you're if you're just adding six hundred dollars to anybody who lives in Iowa City, you probably won't run out of money based on the pool size that we're creating. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And just to kind of anchor this in numbers, uh, if we're contributing 1.5 and the county's at 2 million, that's 3.5 million. If it's 10% administrative costs, that's 350,000. Um, so if we in, if you take the difference and divide that by $2,000 per person, it's 1,575 individuals. So I, I had a conversation with, um, Mazahir Sali of the Center for Worker Justice, our former mayor pro tem, and she indicated, you know, that their best guess is that the numbers will be in the hundreds of households, not thousands. Um, and Supervisor Sullivan indicated that he thought, you know, an estimate was 600 to 800 households with maybe two individuals per household as an average. So that was kind of where my brain was in hitting that number, um, was that that would allow for everyone who, again, we don't know who all would be eligible, but that that should meet the um, anticipated need. Right, and I would add that at this point, the supervisors are not taking an administrative fee, that we're absorbing the cost of administration at this point, that two million is two million towards the program. It doesn't have an administration in it. Okay. And is that it- could, You know, obviously that could change, but right now it's not. And is it your understanding that it's, Per household or per individual? So if there are two, uh, like adults in a household, each one would get? Correct, okay. per individual. Thank you. I guess for me, we're, we're doing estimates of how many people would need it. Um, and thanks for giving us some numbers. And I've heard in the hundreds, potentially not in the thousands, but we don't really know. Um, I, I guess because we do need to kind of move forward and um, as a council and to make some determinations. I guess for me, I would say certainly we can do the the uh, the 2000 for Iowa City residents, but I still hear Councilor Burgess um, maybe making a claim to do 2000 across the board. I'm just saying if we think that's possible, I think that's the best. I will say in terms of the number of people who might be eligible, in the final rule, the U.S. Department of Treasury defined what they meant by low to moderate income, and it is much, it was a higher number than we had anticipated. So for our program to be eligible for a family of one, they just have to make less than $45,370 a year. So, and then that goes up there from there based on size of the household. So a lot of people you know, we think more than several hundred people would be eligible. But it's also only those who haven't also received. No, that's how we've, we've structured it to be focused on low to moderate income. And so that is the, the biggest hurdle to reach. One of the but, eligibility but, requirements is that you didn't receive previous stimulus, but that's not the only, correct. But, the only category. But so in other words, there's both the, the, the not having received previous stimulus is an eligible is an eligibility requirement and it's a higher the threshold the income threshold is higher than you thought it would be correct 
I think requirement is an exclusive term. Um, this program is open to any resident of Johnson County that is low to moderate income. One of the eligibility facets is also exclusion from previous federal stimulus. We're, we're qualifying that as a negative economic impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. If you lost a job, if you had housing insecurity, if you lost childcare, if you did qualify not- Qualify for other federal programs like WIC. Yes, yeah. qualify for other federal programs. So again, it's to make multiple, as many people eligible to access the program as we can under the U.S. Treasury's final rule. Okay, so that was not clear to me at all. I'm sorry. I right. totally I, did not understand that. I think that there's been a narrative that this is an excluded workers fund. This is not an excluded workers fund. This is a negative economic relief program for low to moderate income residents of Johnson County who experienced an economic impact as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you. All right, thank you all. Um, we'll continue with the conversations. What are people's thoughts now? Are we just focusing on the individual disbursements or there were other items in the memo from, from Jeff, um, such as the one on repair and relocation of individuals? Is now a time to discuss that or some other time? Um, I mean, we can... I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with the county. Yeah, and their I think we should focus program. still on the county relief funds. I mean, I guess not knowing the numbers of people at this point who would be eligible and having and, and having just understood that there's a larger pool of people who would be eligible than than I had originally thought. Um, I, I guess I would be in favor of doing $1,400, contributing our $1.5 million and having $1,400 disbursements across the board, should there be leftover money at the end, then I think we, we all need to circle back and, and take a look. But I'm concerned that if right now, that, that uh, with, the, with the greater number of people, if we um, ask that they be plussed up to $2,000 as much as I would like that, that we might end up excluding people who really could need it. Yeah, that was my concern as well. So I'm, at this point, $1,400 seems to be the, for me anyway, the uh, baseline that I would like to, to work with. If, if the $1,400 is the baseline, the question that I would have, and maybe this will be a, um, conversation certainly that the county will have to have for those that don't actually get selected within the pool can our funds then be given to those individuals the fort that are city of Iowa City residents yeah I, I think if you are if you can articulate that's your your primary goal we'll, we'll work with the county staff to do our best to make that happen so if your goal is to reach as many people as you can by contributing our extra 1.5 then we'll try to structure that i don't know that we can work out all the details and get through all the assumptions uh, tonight but it seems to be that's the key decision we need you've made the decision that you want to transfer the 1.5 um, the next thing that I think we could really use is debating those priorities. Is your priority the higher check amount 
or to cover as many people as possible. They may not be mutually exclusive, but if we just knew what your top priority is, we might be able to structure the program to address that first and then potentially look at that secondary objective second. I think because the applications will go out with some information um, attached to it, it becomes a little tricky if we do a, my mind would be a and, but we, you know, we would, um, anyone that wasn't a part of the lottery, a Iowa City resident, they would get $1,400. And then if we still have money beyond that, you know, getting all our residents accounted for, then we can do, you know, on top of that, I, the, you know, up to $600 or something like that. But I don't know how that can all be worked out, but at least for me, that would be kind of my, um, my desire is to do the, to make sure that everyone <laughs> is included because then we could have some individuals that didn't make the lottery that, you know, is a part of the excluded workers um, that, you know, really have come before us and asked. So that's how I would, you know, picture that we do it, that we give direction to the county to, you know, go with the 1400 and then after the lottery is done, anyone look at all Iowa City residents and can we do 1400 at that point for them? It could be we can do 2000 for for the for the people that weren't initially a part of the lottery and then another 600 for those that were it I know it's a little complicated but I wanted to get it out there we, we must have estimates on how many low to moderate income people there are in Iowa City I mean some some extrapolation but I think if 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 income alone is an eligibility that's a totally different pool than I think what we'd been discussing up until this point so yeah. And income alone is a they're eligible just by in, income alone so even if they received prior uh, COVID relief funds if they meet the income eligibility they would get a payment if they're in the lottery and they fill out the application okay yeah so that I guess that's I just didn't under I did not understand that, including in my conversations with the supervisors today. So, if you think about it this way, the you're gonna we're gonna build the pool by anybody that's low to moderate income. So you have that pool of people, and then the the other criteria, it's an and. You've had a negative a negative economic impact. So it it could be a layoff that you belong to a food pantry or delivery program, a WIC, SNAP. Um, you've gotten general assistance from Johnson County, an eviction or foreclosure notice, participation in a housing recovery program, or proof of exclusion from federal stimulus programs. So, so you're right, there's a lot of people that are low to moderate income, but they also have to show the negative impact. And one of those negative impacts is not receiving federal stimulus programs. So it's, it's a two-pronged approach. Mm -hmm. But and we only need just, want to qualify under one of those additional criteria. Right, it's just one additional category besides okay. the low to moderate income. Yeah, this at fourteen hundred each, that would be a little over a thousand. If we were to contribute one point five million, we're talking about a little, roughly a thousand people. Additional people, correct, yeah. to the county's program. Mm -hmm. 
I just want to make one last comment to reiterate the reason for building this as a negative economic impact program and using that low to moderate income eligibility is it reduces the reportable income, the requirements of 1099s and social security numbers. This is presumed eligibility by the U.S. Treasury if we're responding to a negative economic impact. So this was the broadest and most compliant way to help as many people in need as we can. Thank you for that explanation, yeah, Donna. Really helpful. All right, so I, I feel like we need to either marinate on that <laughs> or try to come up with some directives for staff. But I guess my, my inclination right now is to try and make it as easy as possible in the, in the sense that if you, if essentially you add to the pool as people who are pulled out in the lottery turn out to be Iowa City residents, um, we would, we, we fund them until we run out of money. Presumably the county might, since they have a larger pool of money and maybe fewer, fewer people, they, they would fund county people and then eventually end up funding Iowa City people. Um, at once our money runs out, but yeah, so because I think it would, for me, it might be a little bit too complicated to sort of hold our money for for Iowa City people. So I'm, I'm whatever we decide, I'm really in favor of the greatest simplicity that we can convey. Well, and that approach seems to go also with reaching the broadest amount of people, given that the parameters are different. And I am right there with Councilor Burgess. I did not understand the, the, the so thank you for the explanation. Um, but it seems now that is, that's a kind of a different ball game. Um, and that being the case, then I think it, it makes sense that this pool is going to, the, the eligible people are going to be much bigger than, than the pool we were envisioning, and therefore it makes sense for us to be able to help more people as simply as possible. So I, at least right now, I would be in favor of um, putting it into the pool rather than the sort of the if-then statements of, we can always return to it, as um, Councilor Weiner had said, and that we could maybe layer on top, but at least initially, it seems to me, let's just put the money in there and allow it to be uh, reaching as many people as possible. I think one thing we still have to determine is if the city funds can go uh, to a non-Iowa City resident that hasn't been totally established. So. Right, but but I mean, I think, I think we could, That that's, that's true, and I also think that they, that that's probably not administratively that difficult if they are saying this person isn't, you know, at least until you run through the 1.5 million or whatever it was that, that this person is an Iowa City resident, therefore their funds are coming out of the, the, the pool of money that Iowa City gave. Um, the so with that scenario, I just want to be clear that if I, if, if the county is running the program and then county wouldn't use any of the county funds at the initial start with the lottery is that what i understand i'm saying that the county wouldn't use initially county funds for iowa city residents until we run until they would run through the iowa city money okay for iowa city and then the county money i don't know 
Yeah, I, at least for me, I think um, we would want to have the county use their funds with the lottery and then we come on the back end. But, but I think today, if we can, we've, we've already made the decision, it sounds like for majority, of 1.5 will go to the county. Um, and then the next question that we haven't determined is how we want them to use our money. Is it going to be, they use their money up front and then after the lottery has been spent, we ask them to go back and look at all the Iowa City residents that didn't make the lottery and we give the $1,400 um, or do we have the $600 on top of everybody that made the lottery? But even with that, the numbers wouldn't work out that all of our 1.5 would be used. I so think I, I think um, as we entered into this discussion, one of the things that was uh, a priority or important for me is to make sure that we're helping the excluded workers, um, you know, whatever that sort of classification, people who were not eligible. Um, it sounds like I, I too was a little bit confused, but now that this has been clarified that that's one of the requirements, not necessarily all of them. So if that, with that understood now, um, I'm in favor of the path that still gets us helping as many of the excluded workers as possible. So ideally, I really like the idea of boosting up our number so that our Iowa City residents who would have been in this group could have had $2,000. However, if it makes more sense, we can actually end up on the back end helping as many excluded workers as possible by saying we're just going to kick it in. You know, we'll just basically give the county the ability to get $1,400 into more people's hands, understanding that, you know, just the, where the population is, we're probably going to burn through that, you know, we'll burn through our $1.5 million and then the county will end up putting in, you know, covering some additional Iowa City residents. Um, you know, maybe that's, I mean, I don't know, other people understanding that in that way, that the way to get the most help to the biggest number of ex uh, people who haven't gotten any help yet up to this point is to go with the lower number, but in the broader pool. I mean, that's, yeah. that wasn't really what I was hoping we'd end up at, yeah. but I, I, that's, if that's the mechanism that, that we can get those people who haven't gotten help, the help they need, I mean, that's what I would yeah. be supporting. Well, and not have to worry too much about splitting, you know, uh, trying not to make the process more complicated and then slowing it down. I think they need to know our kind of dollar amount at the front end because that'll determine how many people mm -hmm. pass through the lottery. So the difference between, you know, again, based on my math, I'm assuming some administrative costs, but, you know, the difference between 1,500 people and 2,200 people. So I, I think, yeah, I'm with you, Sean. But I think so, the lower amount, more people. And I think if we got all the way through this first round and we didn't use up the funds, I mean, I don't know if this might be, you know, this might not be doable, but a round two, mm -hmm. you know, um, where we could say, okay, well, we end up with this, mu this much money left over, all the people. So if we, if we use up all the money or we don't use up all the money, we've gotten through everybody that got in the lottery. So everybody had gotten something, right? So if we have money left, we'd, we'd go until the money runs out. If we have money left over and it's a significant enough amount to help people out, we could say, okay, you know, here's round two. Um, I, I would think we could do that. I mean, I, again, don't know if that's administratively possible, but it, that might get us off a dead center here a little bit. I think it absolutely is because our, we're using an electronic system that's going to track all the applicants. So we're going to know who applied 
And if we we get to the the opening and closing and we have less applicants than than the pool of money, that's when you can decide if you want to increase the the individual payment or if you wanted to do a second round or op extend the period for longer. I mean, actually, that's a good point because if you if you're closing the applications and you have all the applicants, you're going to know what the maximum amount of applicants are and, and if exactly. we have the money to cover it or if we would then be able to plus it up based on the money that, that's in the pool. Exactly. Exactly. So I want to make sure that I clarify your position. You're wanting to use city money from the beginning for the lottery, is that correct? I, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like that would be administratively the most simple is to just say, here's the 1.5 million. Let's get it to as many people as possible, um, you know, split out at this $1,400 level, um, and that that would capture more of the excluded workers that we've been talking about helping out than if we tried to get too fancy with, with okay. you know, just, just, just by the speed, and then we could get things out faster. Sure. Now, the real concern isn't necessarily that we're going to have money left over. It's that we're going to run out before we hit the number of the, um, you know, the, the end, end result. And I think at, at that point in time, you know, maybe we come back and, and talk with the county about seeing, you know, how, how much are we running short? Can we put in a little bit more and make it to everyone? But there's no way to know that at this point, for sure. So Okay. I, I heard Council Weiner and Council Burgess agree with giving the money, um, having it used at the initial pool. Is there any, anyone else in agreement with that? Yeah, I, I would support that. Okay. Awesome. I would as well. Yep. I would right. too. All right, so that's the direction that we're going to give. Is that the 1.5 million um, be used at the on start of the initial lottery, and that will expand opportunity for everyone in the council and the county at that point. Yep, understood. Thank you. Great. And I, I would just mention that I mean I appreciate the excluded workers and the list we've gotten and those that have come before us, but. I, I would hesitate to have the community think that it's, it's just for that group of folks because I think we're talking about a broader number of people, those that, that are in need that, that haven't received any help that might not necessarily be classified as the excluded workers. So I would be hesitant in, in sort of throwing that term around. I mean, I mean, and, I, and I think that what was at least what was just explained to us is really helpful in the sense that the way that they're able to structure, the fact that they can structure the program this way reduces the amount of um, proof and, and paperwork and documentation that anybody who's applying has to produce. And so that's a, a win all around. That's a great point. And we would say this is an inclusive fund rather than an exclusive fund. So you're absolutely correct. Yeah, that privacy piece is really important. Thank you for structuring it that way. Right. Great. All right, thank you all from the county. Really appreciate that. If nothing else on this topic, we'll move on to the next one, which is a continuation of our budget discussion. And I know today we have to talk, talk about levy. Yeah, um, well, you're right. We do need to, in the next week, determine if the levy that staff has proposed is um, indeed the max levy that we want to build our, our public hearing around, which is required by um, state law. So. If you have a desire to raise the levy, we probably at least need to be aware of that and potentially schedule additional session to um, set what that would be. But um, I did want to call your attention after Wednesday's uh, capital improvement plan meeting, um, council directed staff to look at uh, 
Ways to move the market Jefferson capital project from 26 to, to 24. So um, we, we put together a memo. It just came in your late handouts uh, today, though. So I'm not sure if everybody had a chance to read that. If you want, I can walk you through uh, what we feel would be the best path forward. But ultimately, uh, you know, if you don't want to start there, if you just want to ask questions, that's, uh, that's your decision as a council to make. At least for me, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to read here right now um, for me to give that final direction or feel like I'm prepared. I would so, appreciate a walkthrough. Sure, and, and um, this would not affect a, um, your, your max tax levy decision for this fiscal year. I think it's important that we work this out, but... Um, this isn't something that would influence the, the debt. We wouldn't be bonding for a 24 project this year. So uh, you may have some time to, to work through that. Um, but essentially, you know, there's a few things to consider when, when moving up a, a, a capital project a couple of years. Um, one is um, the funding source. So these are bonded funds. Uh, we typically aim to bond between 10 and $12 million per year. And that gets us a fairly stable, it's kind of our, our bond forecast modeling, it gets us a fairly stable uh, tax uh, uh, rate in our debt service levy. Uh, so if you deviate too much from that 10 to 12, you could put pressure on that tax rate um, to either go up or down, depending on what side you were airing on. So um, to take a two and a $2.6 million project, we can't just put it in 24 without moving something around. Um, without causing a little bit of disruption to our bond modeling. The second piece is, is staff workload. Um, we build the CIP at kind of a max staff workload. So to take a large project like this and move it forward, we really need to deprioritize something else that the, that the staff, uh, particularly the engineering staff, will be working on. So we have to kind of evaluate those projects and determine what could, what could slide. Um, you've got other projects, and especially as you're starting to look at um, years 22, 23, and 24, um, we're starting to get those uh, projects under contract for design. So some of these projects already uh, have um, design um, agreements with them that we're working on. Other projects may have grant funding tied to them, so some projects may be a little bit more flexible uh, than others. Uh, when we looked at this, um, we uh, proposed a, a solution that in involves juggling a half a dozen or more projects to kind of smooth all those factors out. So I'll just uh, real quick walk you through that year by year, um, and then I can answer questions that you have. But in, in 23, so this is the year before you were targeting the, the Market Jefferson project, we would remove the Dubuque Street reconstruction and then we would actually slide a couple of things forward from 24. So we're um, looking at um, a fire apparatus replacement of over a million dollars and moving that up a year. And then moving up some uh, money that we had projected for parkland um, acquisition as we grow on our west side, uh, knowing that we'll need to probably acquire some some parkland out there to serve a growing population. Those were things that we would really have liked to see in 23, but we didn't put them in there in our initial proposal because of the bonding constraints. So again, take Dubuque out and then push a couple things forward. 
Um, the Dubuque project would go all the way back to 26. That would kind of fill the, the space vacated by the Market Jefferson project. In 24, though, um, because we, we created some additional capacity by moving that fire um, apparatus replacement up and the Westside Park ac acquisition up, that created about $2 million in bond capacity. So that's, that's how we moved the Market Jefferson program up. And then um, just to help kind of fine-tune that number a little bit more, we would actually bump back the lower city park shelters and restroom projects. And that's roughly $2.6 million of bonding capacity that would open up then in 24. Uh, don't have to do much in 25, but there is a little bit of domino effects. We, we did move those lower city park shelters back to 25 uh, from 24 to create that little bit of bonding capacity. That caused the domino of the Hickory Hill Park Conklin Shelter Restroom Project to go back one year. Um, and then in 26, um, that's where the Dubuque Street Project lands. Um, and uh, that is also where the um, Hickory Hill Park Conklin Shelter and Restroom Replacement lands. The, uh, the only project that would fall out to the unfunded would be the North Market Square Playground. Um, that's in pretty good shape right now. I, wouldn't, I think you'd see it introduced again next year in 27, but again, just trying to smooth out the, the bonding numbers a little bit there. So that's our, that's our thoughts on the best way to accomplish the council's objective if you wanna move things up. Um, the Dubuque Street project is not under contract. If I didn't say that before, that's one that we're actually negotiating a design contract with right now. We could put a stop to that and then turn our attention to initiating design on Market Jefferson. So another reason why that one um, works out. I will say, you know, still from a staff perspective, we feel like the needs um, are greater for the Dubuque Street project. We feel like there's... Um, more significant utility and surface deterioration issues on that Dubuque Street corridor, which is why our initial uh, proposal included that um, before Market Jefferson. Um, but delaying it to 26 um, is is not a concern. Uh, we don't have a you know a significant concern that you're going to get a big water main break or anything like that. Um, uh, so I think it would be a safe move if you wanted to do it. Well, I was I was the one who initiated this request, and um, you know, since our meeting on Wednesday, you know, I really that was one of my focal points since Wednesday was this this question. And uh, you know, it's, uh, as I noted in our discussion on Wednesday, there are a number of other projects uh, that concern me as well. Um, I think it's important with respect to advancing uh, two things really. One is safety. You know, we've been emphasizing the safety aspects of these projects. The other that I think um, needs to be emphasized is, is how these, these streets, um, which, which have their auto orientation to them, um, we are after all essentially by and large an auto dependent city disproportionately impact the safety and transportation choices of youth, persons with disabilities, persons with low incomes, the elderly, as well as those who just would simply prefer either walking, bicycling, or taking transit to, to driving. And, and my sense is, is if that is something the council agrees with, 
the approach we need to take needs to be a systemic approach. Uh, the, the system is interrelated. Our transportation, our road systems are interrelated. It's, it's not a matter of improving safety and addressing the equities on Market Jefferson. It's really trying to take a, a comprehensive approach so that we as a city have kind of a coherent uh, strategy with respect to meeting those goals. Um, so with, with that in mind, uh, and this is perhaps something we could address during our strategic planning uh, exercise, which I guess will be in about a month, is to try to look at it that way. Um, because I do feel we are, you know, um, I, I would want to say perhaps at an inflection point uh, with regard to issues of, you know, how do we, as we are trying with affordable housing, address the inequities that we have in our transportation systems? Uh, there, we, we put a lot of emphasis on affordable housing, and, and you know, reasonably so, uh, but the same issues apply to our transportation systems. They are as, as exclusionary as our ho housing policy. And, and so my feeling is, is we, we just can't look at this on a project-by-project project basis. It's something we, we need to look at systemically. Uh, those places that have been the most successful at promoting alternative means of transportation take that approach. It's, it's not sort of identifying areas within the city where we want to improve access and so forth. It's citywide. And, and the, the remedies are going to vary depending on where you live in Iowa City, but as an overarching approach, it needs to be a systemic approach. And, and so I'm not personally, you know, I, I didn't really think of this as uh, being quite so complicated. I'd, I'd seen in um, just under the street, downtown streetscape plan, projects move back and forth, their budgets increased in certain instances. The playground just sort of popped up. I mean, that wasn't even in the, uh, the streetscape master plan. It was, um, in fact, we did a resurfacing of the, the playground as a quick fix. Well, that, that resurfacing is going to have to be ripped up to do this project. So it seemed to me we, we, it just would, I wasn't expecting it to be quite so complicated um, because we'd been making adjustments uh, just within the streetscape plan itself. Um, but at this point, as, I, as I've been trying to emphasize here, is it's not that project. Yes, that's an important project, and, and thankfully we only have four one-way streets, multi-lane one-way streets in Iowa City. We're not talking about, you know, a long list of streets which would need to be corrected. It's, it's really a very short list. Um, uh, so so that's, that would be... That's where I'm, I've landed at this point, is, and I, I hope you agree that, um, you know, I, we, we can leave it where it is, but I hope we, Market Jefferson, but I hope we understand that we, we're really going to be successful uh, promoting equity and promoting choice for all our residents in terms of how they get about Iowa City. It has to be a comprehensive approach. The one thing that did come out of the discussion was for the um, for Market and Jefferson, there 
needs to be some community outreach. Right. So that's precisely, you know, um, what I mean. I, I, I view the time between now and whenever we want to start thinking about these projects, if we agree that we, we really need to look at this in a broader way. Um, and, in, and in fact, maybe that's helpful. You know, if we're going to be looking at, at Burlington, if we're going to be looking at Gilbert, Market Jefferson, the Dodge Governor couplet, um, that we, we think of our, our approach toward, you know, addressing it to the community in that, in that comprehensive framework, uh, rather than here's a project we're doing. Um, that's just going to draw a reaction to that particular project without, you know, that fuller understanding of what I, I would think we are really attempting to achieve. So it, it gives us, in that sense, more time to develop a strategy um, so that we can be successful with this, because I think if it's properly framed, we will be. Uh, you know, one thing I, I did look at um, in, in preparation for tonight was the, the meeting we had with the council back in April of last year. And, um, you know, in my mind, there seemed to be some confusion as to what the intent and benefit of the Market Jefferson conversion really was. It really wasn't framed in the way I was describing it. It was really, um, you know, it was called for in the master plan and the, the downtown district endorses it and so forth. But I don't know that we emphasized uh, accurately what the real benefits would be for that. Um, and I think to be successful, that's what we're going, going to need to do. I did want to just make mention um, that, uh, you know, when I look at this and you're talking about systemic approach and how things are interrelated, um, I'd, I'd, I'd get the, I get the picture as far as like looking at the big picture. Um, when things do come down to the organization of CIPs, you know, that interrelated may not be so much there. Um, although I do believe that staff give consideration to other projects along the way, like, you know, something may have been postponed because mm -hmm. of something would be better in place here than, you know, to, to make it complete here. So I, 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 I want to at least acknowledge the work that the staff has done to look at this I think systemically there's something to be said about them coming back today and you know giving us a path pathway forward um, which I really appreciate when council does have our strategic meeting um, I think that's what we're supposed to be doing is looking at the all of the systems <laughs> you know on some level and trying to create a paragraph <laughs> that's going to encompass um, how we want to move forward as a city, what our priorities are. Um, and so certainly I can wait and, um, you know, not move forward with this and have this a part of the, again, this won't be a part of the strategic plan um, specifically. It may come up because um, the strategic plan is bigger than a project. Uh, which we know, but examples come in into play um, all the time when you're talking about a strategic plan. So if the proposal, I mean, it, it, there's something to be said to at least get this um, in the hands of the public because it'll be 
I think, 10, 12 years by the time this comes up into the public? Uh, well, at least for them to have these community... Well, I mean, this leaving it where it is, it's 2026. Um, the Dodge Street project is 2025. So there are two, two major projects uh, that fall under this program that I'm mm -hmm. suggesting. Um, and the Burlington Street project may not have, could very likely not have any capital cost. It would be more just a planning exercise. And the same with Gilbert. Gilbert is not envisioned as a major capital project. It's, it's just a, you know, a road diet executed by um, revising the, the lines of pain in the street. Um, so the two major capital projects that, that at least we've discussed at the, up to this point would be Market Jefferson and Dodge. Can you provide, so, can someone provide the backstory on Dodge because I'm not seeing it in here? Yeah, the um, Dodge Governor Couplet, I don't know if Jason or Scott, Ron, I can't see who's all back there, but <laughs> want to walk us through the Dodge Governor. So the Dodge Street project would be reconstruction of Dodge Street essentially from Burlington Street to Governor. So it would be similar in layout to what it is today. We'd probably look at tweaking it somewhat. Um, another piece of that is not only pavement, but utility mm -hmm. repairs as well. So water main, storm sewer, sanitary sewer, that kind of stuff as well. So it's basically, it's Dodge, just that chunk that was done with Governor. Yep. And the Parallel. We've gone through and done a functional design, so we haven't started the preliminary or final design for the project. Um, I guess one thing I would note is Dodge Street is joint jurisdiction with the DOT, so that does add another layer of, of complexity or, or coordination there as well. Thank you. I mean, going, going back to what the, the focal point of, of this, which is uh, Market Jefferson, my understanding when it was initially in the CIP before it came back on is that one of the reasons the, the downtown district and others supported it was because have, turning the one ways into two ways would really um, knit together the downtown with the north side in many ways because the, the, the one, one ways uh, people go faster, they're more of a barrier, um, and that's one of the reasons that, or a main reason that the downtown district supported it. So as a sort of part of, and, and so I view that somewhat holistically as, as an overall overarching planning goal, which is how do we essentially increase the walking area, improve the, expand what we consider to be the core downtown um, and, and move forward as a city. So I don't, I mean, I don't feel that strongly as to when it, when it takes place, but I, that was my understanding of what the background of it was. It, it also is where our bike lanes are. So, you know, that, that uh, I think is another important consideration is, and this is the sort of thing I've been looking at over the last several days, is that um, when you have a bike lane, you really don't want it to be on a multi-lane one-way street. Uh, if, you were to, if you were to place it there, there would need to be significant separation. And our, our current bike lane on Market and Jefferson is not physically separated. So those are the sorts of, you know, if we're promoting bicycling and we're putting it on a one-way street, there, there's a conf we're, we're putting it in a place where there's inevitable conflict and, and high risk. You know, these, 
the, the one way is increase vehicular speed. Uh, so that, you know, the light, if there is a collision, it could likely be a fatal co collision. So, so those are the, that, that's the other overlay with Market Jefferson is it's, it's part of our bike network um, that we need to consider. Yeah, I appreciate, John, what you're saying about a holistic approach and, you know, rolling this into our strategic planning. And I think having a little more time, you know, making sure that Market Jefferson stays on the CIP, which it is, you know, back now, and having a little more time to kind of frame that all up and say, okay, how do all these projects, these bigger, really significant projects that we know are planned, how do they fit that goal? Are there any, you know, tweaks, recommendations, that kind of thing, rather than, you know, the moving it up to 24, I feel like is too rushed like that. I don't feel like we're being intentional and we can't, you know, kind of pull in what you're talking about if we do that. And also I think if the understanding the complexity of this puzzle and that if, if, if it would mean delaying the Dubuque Street reconstruction, I mean, I think that's one that people are relying on, you know, happening in fiscal 23, people being, you know, people on that street, and it is a major undertaking as far as, you know, the planning of reconfiguring the traffic pattern and all of that. And, and I think that one, we know, you know, one of the big issues in that block long reconstruction is that there is so much vehicle right of way and so little pedestrian right of way, and that's a lot of what's going to be changed, if I understand that. Mm -hmm that project correctly. So I think that still fits with the direction that we're going, but can make sure that that happens at a time that people are already kind of planning for and then move forward. I, you know, I, Nancy's out there <laughs> listening in. You know, that was certainly not my intention to start re, you know, reprioritizing among the downtown projects. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's the sort of discussion that, you know, would require significant effort on everyone's part to make sure we were in this reshuffling of the projects that you know we we reached some consensus on that um i i my perception of of the moving it up the value of that is is diminished if we all agree that there's this larger picture that this then gives us more time to to understand to prepare ourselves for and um, achieve because as I said if, if we're just doing a piecemeal approach on this um, the, the public will be confused as to what are we what are we trying to say as a city in terms of our uh, priorities with respect to mobility in Iowa City it, it needs to be a consistent message and you know the best example worldwide is Holland and there are many many who and they're, they're in fact exporting their expertise in regard to this and, and they were in the same position um, cities in the United States are 50 years ago but they made a conscious decision to go in a different direction and it's a systemic approach and um, it made perfect sense to me when I began to see how it's it's very important to, to maintain that that coherency um, rather than pockets of, of um, walkability, which is kind of what we have now. I want to get to other budgetary items, unless there's more comment. Um, I guess maybe we need to give direction to staff as to 
if we're wanting to go with this revised schedule or are people sounds to me like not just want to make sure i get a yep so there won't be any changes to the cip and then other budgetary items any desire to uh, change the levy by any counselor now would be a good time to have that discussion seeing no one I would just say that I'm not willing that I, I'm not particularly interested in changing the levy right now because we have to see what the discussion is going to be and where where taxes are going to end up on the state level after the after the state legislative session because there may well need to be changes next year um, we may need to raise the levy next year if if we if the state's not no longer going to produce enough income tax revenue to cover what what we need to so I, I personally favor leaving it where it is for that reason I think it's a very pivotal year <laughs> that we'll be paying attention to because um, a lot of changes coming down the pike anything else on budget going down to continuation of meeting protocol discussions um, Eric isn't here but I did want to just mention that um, Councilor Weiner and Mayor Pro Tem um, and I all met uh, with Eric and as of now we're um, we're gonna want to come back <laughs> and um, have some presentations um, by the city attorney the next time around we just didn't get through all of the needed information uh, before today so we'll hold off and come back to that anything else on on that uh, clarification of agenda items and we will have the item number 11 I know that Councilor Burgess will recruit herself yep. that's about it and then information packet discussion January 6th um, IP4 and that just very glad to see the uh, security deposit assistance um, allocation again so sounds like we blew through those funds and are allocating more um, to help with that need so thank you for that okay yep. January 13th and we have some IP items there right I mean it, yeah looks like there's a couple of items there on which we need to give them direction yes yep so we want to start with the um, IP5 I believe no yes yep so the memo from the city manager 
Yeah, just looking for some direction on timing, if you're ready to jump into that in the next month or two. It's typically when we would start, would be once once the budget is more or less um, uh, done. So late February, early March would be typically when we start. And um, I've got a couple things here that I'd like you to, to consider. One is um, whether you want a facilitator or not. And, and two, whether, we try to uh, coordinate with the Better Together 2030 visioning process that's going on. Um, I think that could be really beneficial, um, but want to make sure you're comfortable with that. Uh, and then um, I'd like for I'd like for you all to consider a a larger window for your strategic plan. We've historically done two-year plans, but. Um, I think moving to a five-year plan would be really helpful, um, be helpful for staff. It, I think it would allow you to think a little bit bigger in terms of what could be accomplished. And as I look back over the last 10 years of strategic plans, most of them had just been fine-tuned from every, every two-year period. Um, and so by putting um, a longer range uh, to that time frame, I think it just may allow us to approach some of these situations a little bit differently. Um, currently, a lot of our focus is what can we get done in this two-year period um, or what can we make substantial progress towards in this two-year period as opposed to thinking a little bit bigger. So um, any feedback, discussion on those items would be greatly appreciated. I just want to hop in right away to say I completely agree with looking at a longer year uh, strategic planning window. Um, I think five years allows us to do the kind of comprehensive, more um, connected and coherent kind of vision. Um, and it also allows for scaffolding along the way. Um, two years to me does both feel and I think in practice end up being a little bit more chunked out into a project-based kind of um, outcome, whereas a strategic plan allows you to have projects that work in service of a vision. So I would be in favor of a five-year strategic planning window. I, I would agree with that. I also think it would be, a, especially since we're going to, if we're going to be looking larger and more comprehensive, perhaps, and, and for some shifts, I think it would be, could be really helpful to have a facilitator. Uh, and. I would just point out that it, whatever we decide to do with the 2030 visiting, visioning process from Better Together, that ECCOG is also finishing its essentially 2030 visioning process that's going to be rolled out on, on March 1st. So it might be worth our while to at least consider those um, results as well. A question, if we switch to five years, would that change how often we, we go in and, and work on the strategic plan or would it stay the same? No, you could um, you can really go in and amend that or refine it any time you want. Historically, the council's really revisited that every two years, and I think any time you get new council members situated, it's going to be a good good exercise to to revisit the strategic plan. So I don't think it's a let's do the plan and revisit how we did in five years. I think you still continue to look at it, if not annually, every two years. I would think that'd be important because along those lines, I was thinking that too, uh, as far as the terms of the council. And it's like you could have a totally new council come in and they've got five years worth of something that others have planned for them and they might have different ideas. So I think revisiting it is important and it's good to point that out that we can do that. 
I'm in favor of us using a third party facilitator. I think that would be helpful, just especially if we're broadening the scope a little bit or trying to look a little bigger, having that kind of fresh professional perspective would be helpful to me. Um, and I do agree that we should tie in the, the Project Better Together 2030 visioning and anything we can learn from the ECCOG process as well. I think the more, you know, having that understanding of what some of those regional um, ideas are would be really helpful and yes to five years. I think Councillor Thomas had mentioned that when he and I came on the council, oh gosh, six, seven years ago now, uh, we met as a group and it was even the outgoing and the and, and the incoming together uh, and we did have a facilitator then to help us with our budget discussions and to formulate our strategic plan and and I think uh, at first I was thinking oh that's kind of a waste of money but uh, hearing uh, Councillor Burgess and, and thinking back uh, that person I think it was through the university someone through the university seemed to be very helpful in, in helping us to focus and kind of gathering our ideas together and say now is this what you're really trying to to get towards so uh, I would be in favor of that. Yeah, I, th I support the idea of a third party facilitator and um, the bringing the um, aligning our strategic plan with Better Together 2030. I think uh, the third item conceptually, I think the idea of having a more expanded <coughs> strategic plan framework um, makes sense. But I would, I would also uh, at the same time, I think want uh, that strategic plan to be uh, revisited every year just to see where we are with progress on those items. Um, I mean, I, you know, the, the way it's structured now, it's, it's a little bit awkward because it doesn't quite align with our election cycle. And so if you're new coming in, Sean and Megan, you know, the first shot you have of really... Um, seeing things implemented is, is a year and a half away. You know, it's a, uh, you know, because we're, we're right now approving a budget that doesn't go into effect until July of, of this year, and it runs through June of the following year. Uh, and so there's, you know, between now and, and the end of June is history. <laughs> and uh, we've already determined, uh, you know, the budget for the first year, you know, the, the year after. So, um, you know, it's it's a little bit awkward that way in my mind. So it seems to me having that annual review uh, is important. I know there were there were certain items in our strategic plan that we developed two years ago that we never got to. Um, I think it might have been useful to have had uh, an opportunity at least you know a year in to sort of check in to see where are we with with our strategic planning goals. There may be very good reason why it, certain ones haven't been addressed, but it, it would just be an opportunity to look at it in terms of, you know, where things stand after a year. Um, so I think both the the broader the broader concept makes sense, but I think there need I would I would like to kind of formalize a review period that's more on an annual basis. Sound like there is a majority for one, two, and three. Um, and I would agree that on an annual basis, it should be um, reviewed at least just by giving an update. All right. Anything else on IP5? Moving on to IP7, which is the joint entities agenda. 
Um, that meeting is going to be on the 24th of January. It'll be by Zoom and it's hosted by the Johnson County Board of Supervisors. So for the new counselors, um, we have the opportunity to put anything on the agenda. Uh, sometimes um, people, entities do, sometimes they don't. Iowa City historically has uh, put something on the agenda that's for the broader community to kind of be aware or comment on. I think when this item came up a while back, uh, I'd mentioned that it'd be good to, to put this on the joint entities, and that was that the opioid crisis uh, settlement fund, because I believe that there were a lot of items in there that uh, communities could jointly work together on using these funds rather than like duplicating services. So I think that uh, it would be helpful to have a discussion at that meeting as far as what people have in mind. I don't know if Sue could kind of tell us if we're at if we're jumping the gun a little bit okay. Okay. or if we need to kind of wait to get more information on that. Um. I'm just not familiar. Okay. I, I know there's been discussions between our office and the county attorney's office, but I don't know the, I don't know if Jeff, you know, I don't know the specifics. No, I, I, uh, obviously you all signed the, the settlement agreement a couple meetings ago, but um, I'm not aware of any substantive discussions okay occurring either internal to Iowa City or, or in collaboration with other governmental bodies. I, I think it's probably a little premature unless you just want to indicate that initial interest to say, hey, a lot of us have probably executed this settlement agreement. We're going to be getting these funds. Can we pledge to work together? Um, but to, to get into a level of detail of how we'll spend those is probably a little bit premature. Mm -hmm. I think it's possible that the whole agreement was at least temporarily put on hold by a court out east. Um, I think it'll sort of get freed up again, but uh, I think it may be in limbo right now. I think it's a great discussion, but if we can, yeah. at least personally, mm -hmm. if we can hold off. Keep it on the back burner, yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I think it would be great to have on on there when it, when it gets to be more closer. And I, my experience with these meetings is that they're kind of relatively short and usually not super, I don't know, it, it doesn't seem like we usually actually have substantive agreement discussions. So anything that even is putting on the radar, I do think is, is helpful. Um, in my mind, I was thinking about just updates on anything COVID related, you know, um, understanding that the school district, I don't know, like their level of involvement in the um, drive through clinics and testing that are being and maybe we'll hear that from Sam tonight, too. But I always think it's helpful to just hear from all the entities of like where we at right now so that from an information sharing standpoint. Yeah, I think I agree it would be useful to hear that as well as if various entities are willing to say where they stand on on ARPA fund decisions mm -hmm. because yeah. there are like I, I know some of the entities don't have very large pots but it's also useful for them to hear what the others are doing so I hear COVID update and ARPA fund um, updates from from cities and it was just or municipalities and anyone can chime in if they want Anything else? I'd be interested in the spirit of uh, what Councilor Burgess talked about, that these are sort of like you bring up something in order to follow up with. Um, I would definitely be interested in finding out 
um, from various entities about uh, local childcare solutions, investigations, discussions, um, in order to be able to signal our interest perhaps in supporting and partnering with um, work that's already underway from a number of different, um, the Child Care Coalition is drawing from everywhere in the county uh, different entities. So I would be interested in, in putting that forward just to uh, be able to signal our interest in, in entering into that conversation. I think it's a great discussion, but I'm not sure that it would, at least me personally, if that would be the most, the best place to do it, only because I know that you mentioned the Child Care Coalition and Iowa Women's Foundation. It seemed like maybe they can reach out um, and, and try to get some more substantive <laughs> type information. Some, sometimes these meetings are really um, as Laura would say, they kind of go quick in, 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 in some manner. And I feel like this is more, this is a more detailed sure. discussion. Is there a way to at least, I mean, and this is a question to those who have been at these before, is there a way to signal this interest so that <laughs> there's a, I mean, it sounds like there's, there are a lot of different potential partners there. So rather than actually say, could you present us with work that you've been doing, which is more along the lines of the COVID um, updates, but rather just to signal that these are things that, you know, perhaps we can um, have a conversation or, or learn more about this at, at a different time. Is that possible? Um, so, I mean, and I, if this is getting too in the weeds, we can yeah. certainly take this um, you know, offline, but I just wanted to find out if this is the appropriate forum mm -hmm. and if it isn't then perhaps the next question either here or elsewhere is what what would be some some good directions to to open that conversation up i mean child care is a is a concern across the board i, I mean there there certainly could be um that's where i would see like a, a maybe the child care coalition coming to given given some type of a presentation but um especially if there is something new coming out mm -hmm. Uh, through the state or federally, some funding, um, just to make people aware. Um, at least that's how I see it. I don't know that it will be beneficial for people to, in municipalities to share updates unless they have, um, they've taken advantage of something. Sure. Do we have like a new business that's on that agenda? Because it seems like, you know, the just being able to say, hey, coming down the pike at some point, we'd like to collaborate. My experience in our collaborating with the county on ARPA just really shows how much intentionality it requires. I think we all were just like, yeah, we'll work together. And now we're, you know, so many months into it and staff's done, you know, almost all the work. We've had three conversations about it. So I like the idea of kind of flagging hey, this is an issue that in the future we want to work together on. The district's doing something. The county's doing something. The city has talked about that in terms of our strategic ARPA, you know, expenditures. Can we bring, I mean, again, I think we can bring in kind of the Child Care Coalition or Iowa Women's Foundation to give us like a comprehensive overview of what's happening. There, yeah, there are a number of players who are who are really focused on this. Child Care Coalition, Jennifer Banta, um, Don Don Oliver Wyand, um, uh, actually Mary Masher is very 
uh, Representative Masher is very involved involved in this as well. Um, and, and I think the school district has, at least the ICCSD has a big potential piece of it if we eventually step back and look at the potential for lost and, and trying to make sure that there's um, um, universal pre-K with wraparound care because that all, so there's a lot of pieces, there's a lot of pieces to it, but so there are a lot of potential mm -hmm. um, uh, presenters. So are you thinking with that being said, um, it could be an item and then just municipalities just jump in or do we, because I don't feel like the city has an update. Yeah, if we put an item on, we're, we're generally expected to lead the discussion on that. So just hearing you talk, what I might suggest, I think you are going this route, uh, Councillor Burgess, is um, try to get some consensus that for a future meeting, you invite uh, the coalition or a group to present and then you know generally explore common interests or areas of collaboration. But um, I would frame it like that. This isn't really for today, but we have an interest in this. Is anybody else around the table interested? And if yes, can we invite this guest to come to our next meeting? And the, the, you meet quarterly, so it'll just be a few okay. months away. And it's gonna be a big, it's also gonna be a big topic at the legislative session again. I feel like a broken record right now, but so there may, it's, it's gonna be a moving, mm -hmm. a moving target in some ways. And I think over the next couple of months before the, before the follow on meeting to this one, we'll know a lot more about what they're going to do and not do at the state level. Mm-hmm. Any other agenda item ideas? All right, hearing none. So staff has what we're doing. There's two. Yeah, I have two updates, COVID updates from governments, ARPA updates from uh, governments, and then we'll frame some, some sort of uh, child care teaser in there, if that. And, and I do think, it, correct me if I'm wrong, you're really wanting um, public health and potentially maybe University of Iowa to give some COVID updates. Yeah, and honestly, Mary, I was even thinking like, you know, just saying what the cities are doing. I don't know, does everybody in the joint entities group know that we still have a mask mandate, for example? I mean, just that kind of sure. level of information to say, here's where we are, sure. what we're doing with our facilities, programs, that kind of thing. Sure. I think we can certainly alert Sam Jarvis um, to give an update, and then it'll just be an open agenda item for anybody to chime in. All right. Okay. Moving on to council updates on assigned boards, commissions, and committees. Um, well, since I mentioned ECOG before, that, I'm still part of ECOG just insofar as they're rolling out their version of this visioning um, 2030. So we've, we had yet another meeting next week. They're, they're getting ready to really roll out the final version, which I believe will um, be, be likely be a, a public meeting in which people can participate, of course, on a city council day. It's going to be March 1st. Um, up at, at Cedar Ridge, uh, at, at Cedar Ridge, but you know, it'll, I think it'll start at two, so there's some, some time in there. The thing that I found most interesting about the last discussion is they were trying to get people to rank a whole variety of things that had been discussed under different pillars um, as to what are, would be the driving driver engines for this whole larger region. And the, 
and um, it did it was very interesting to me that the things that people ranked the highest were the basic the, the basic building blocks of, of of creating a livable place they weren't the let's create this a biotech center here or let's let's try and pull in this they were let's provide let's figure out affordable housing let's figure out childcare, and let's figure out how to make how to make all our immigrants feel welcome essentially those were the top three items so i'm curious to see where it all all lands but i thought it was fascinating that it was really among this not not small group of people from a not small group of counties that 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 with a lot of other technical and other possibilities there those were the top items and, and what were they housing childcare, and what was the third one basically creating a, a welcoming place to, to mm -hmm. be able to bring the immigrants in Mm -hmm. So, sort of put another way, workforce issues. Mm -hmm. yep. I'll just mention that tomorrow I'll be leaving for Washington, D.C. to the U.S. Conference of Mayors. And typically, the Mayor's Innovation Project would overlap um, two conferences at one time, which is typically like 7 a.m or 7.30 start all the way to 9 p.m. So <laughs> it'll be a little easier, I think, this time around with only one um, in place. But um, these conferences do offer um, experiences from other cities to present. And uh, the things that you just mentioned, housing, uh, some of those key things that we are trying to uh, you know uh, do better in our own community uh, sometimes there's things that they mention and it's whoa this could be very helpful so hoping to bring back a lot of new ideas maybe for our strategic planning and i got to sit in on my first um, city of literature unesco uh, board meeting and um, the timing of it is fantastic because um, they are in the midst of um, looking forward to the One Book, Two Book Festival, which is um, of young writers in the, um, actually it's throughout all of Iowa. Um, and they are given a fantastic um, opportunity to um, express themselves and to be literary. And it goes all the way from K to eight. I should know this better because I've actually adjudicated it as um, part of partnership with ACT. There's a staff of uh, writing specialists who get the opportunity to to read these essays and then through uh, a really wonderful rubric that was created um, to adjudicate the, the best essays and then the winners read their stuff. And this may all be information that you already know, but I just had to wax enthusiastic about it. Um, additionally, they are going to put a skating rink out at Black Hawk uh, Park, which is gonna be a really nice way to be able to have kind of some safe a gathering um, and some, they've done it before uh, and they're going to do it again. So that will be coming up. Great. We are at the point of our break, and we will be back at 6 p.m. <laughs>